0: starting off a brand new sermon series Uh, we just finished guess who now we're talking about how the early church was sent the early church was sent with the message of God's love in the face of Jesus Christ to all people is what we're going to dig into today from Acts chapter 10 so I've got a story for you a tale of two cities by the sea in one city there was a man who loved God and loved people In the other city, there was another man who loved God and loved people. Both men were men of prayer. Both men served God. Both men saw visions from God. The difference was, Peter was a Jew, and Cornelius was an Italian, a Gentile, somebody who's not Jewish, and therefore somebody who is outside of God's chosen Old Testament people looking in and wondering if God's love was in fact for him. We're going to be in Acts chapter 10 today, so if you would turn there and we're going to dig right in. I want to start by nutshelling a couple thousand years of history for you so we can get the real tension that we're talking about. Are you ready? Uh, God made a promise to Abraham. He called Abram which was then his name, out of Ur the Chaldees, to a land that he would show him, and he promised him three things. God promised Abraham a people, a nation. And then God promised Abraham a land, Israel. And then God promised Abraham, in Genesis 12, 3, in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. So God promised Abraham a people, a land, and then through his family line, redemption for all the peoples of the earth. Now, not only was God establishing his chosen people, Israel, in their own land, but he gives them this promise of redemption to all the people. But here's, here's the thing. That promise of redemption came through Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3.14, in, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Jesus is the bridge. He's the link. That's the only way that God's love, God's good news message of his love in the face of Jesus Christ translates from his Old Testament people, Israel, to the rest of the world. It's only through Jesus Christ. This is the very last thing Jesus talked about before he ascended to heaven. In Luke 24, 47, he said, proclaimed in his name, to all nations, all people, beginning from Jerusalem, you are my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We've talked about this before, how Jesus sent the disciples out, but then he told them to stay and wait. Why would he do that? Because nothing can be accomplished Without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the seal, without the guarantee, without the redemptive work of the Holy Spirit. So they were told to wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? In Acts chapter 10, we are approximately 10 years removed from this part of the story. It's been a decade, and now it's time. It's time for God's message of his love in the face of Jesus Christ to extend beyond the borders of the Jewish race and into all the other nations of the world, the Gentile nations. Here's what it means for you. If you're not a Jew, this story is monumental to your faith. Because if Peter had not carried the gospel message to Cornelius who's a Gentile, then you and I would not have access to salvation through Jesus Christ. If the gospel message had never translated beyond the borders of the Jewish race, then that would exclude you and I. The fact that Peter carried it to Italians and Sumerians and Syrians and Samaritans means that the gospel message has also come to Canadians, and Americans, and Dutch, and First Nations, and German, and French, and English. The only reason that we have God's love available to us is because the gospel message translated from the Jews to the Gentiles in the story that we're reading today. Is that exciting? All right. Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. Let's dig into it. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. This is our main character today. A centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continuously to God. He feared God, and he was generous to all the people. He loved God, and he loved people. Isn't that how Jesus summarized the law? The whole law can be summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is Cornelius. Cornelius is from Caesarea. Now, this is a video from Right Now Media. If you don't have Right Now Media, we want to give you a free subscription. But as you're studying through the Bible and you come up across a place, you can see modern-day footage of what that place looked like on Right Now Media. Free access to you. So if you don't have that, if you're watching online today, we can send you that link you can get signed up. But this is Caesarea today. Caesarea is the Roman seaport in the Roman province of Judea. This is how Rome would transport ships and business and government into Judea, was through this seaport, Caesarea. Caesarea was a fairly large city, military city, very political Uh, When we get into the story of the Apostle Paul later on in the book of Acts, chapter 20, 21, 22, we see Paul taken to Caesarea to plead his case before the Roman government, before they put him on a ship and sent him to Rome. This is Caesarea. Uh, Caesarea is, is very military. We're talking about the Italian cohort located in Caesarea. Cornelius himself is a centurion, which means he's over 80 to 100 soldiers, Now, tradition tells us that there were likely 30 centurions over a century of soldiers in Caesarea, which would total upwards of 3,000 soldiers in the city of Caesarea. The city of Caesarea, they had an amphitheater, they had all of these, uh, they had this seawall in front of the ocean to protect the city. You can see it over here. You can even see some of the ruins of where some of the wealthy military figures' homes would have been. So potentially, one of those ruins could be the house of Cornelius. Now let me tell you a little bit more about Cornelius. He feared God, he gave alms, he prayed, and he was a devout man. But he wasn't a Jew. He held to a lot of Jewish customs. We're going to see that he prayed at the typical customary time of Jewish prayer during the day. He feared God, he gave alms, he led his household in this, but he wasn't circumcised, he wasn't called a Jew. That was Cornelius' big issue in our story today. What if God is preparing the heart of the person who needs to hear the good news before the person who tells the good news ever arrives? What if God's already laid all the foundation? What if God's already taught a number of his truths? What if God has already humbled the heart of the individual and he's just waiting for somebody to be obedient enough to come and give that final truth of the gospel message? This is the story of Cornelius. If you come to to verse 3, Acts chapter 10, it says about the ninth hour of the day, which is about 3 p.m., the time of the evening sacrifice for the Jews. So Cornelius is praying at the evening hour of prayer that the Jews would have customarily recognized. He saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. You know the name Cornelius means horn in Latin. It's a Latin name. And horn can mean two different things, a horn that you blow or the horn on an animal, and both are significant of the same thing. Both signify leadership, forerunner. You remember the story of Gideon when they broke their clay pots, the 300 soldiers, they held their torches, they blew their trumpets to signify the coming army. You read in the book of Revelation, the horn is identified as different world leaders, leaders, forerunners. Cornelius is the forerunner for the Gentiles. He's the bridge. He's the first one who's going to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ among the Gentiles. Now, let's look at verse 4. Cornelius stares at the angel, like anyone would, in terror and says, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. I wonder if the angel would have ever showed up if Cornelius wasn't already seeking and pursuing God. Cornelius is seeking after God. God reaches out to Cornelius. You have this mutual connection. The searcher and the Savior. And it's not because he's following laws. It's not because he followed followed all the Jewish customs that God reached out. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, "'For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice.'" the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Cornelius wasn't a traditional, religious, God-fearing Jew, but he had a heart that longed after God, and God honored his request. The angel came, spoke to Cornelius, and here's the message in verse 5. Now send men to Joppa, and bring one Simon, who's called Peter. We know Simon Peter from studying through the Gospels. He's a big figure in the book of Acts, as we're getting into He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now, let me say a few things about this. First of all, Joppa. Here's Caesarea National Park, some of that imagery that I just showed you. You can visit it today. It's there. It's real. Joppa is just down here. Uh, It's southern. It's modern-day Tel Aviv. Um, You can travel from Joppa to Caesarea, uh, this morning it said it would take 15 minutes. I don't know if traffic's bad there this time of day or what, but it's just 56 kilometers. 56 kilometers along the beach, from one port city to another. Can I just point this out? The the bridge from the Jewish people to the Gentile people receiving the gospel. The whole theme of Scripture, redemption, the promised Abraham thousands of years earlier, extending from the Jews to the Gentiles, was separated by 56.7 kilometers. You can drive there in an afternoon. Can I just make this application? Is it, is it possible that the distance between the person who needs to hear about Jesus and the person who needs to tell them could just be a driveway away? just be a cubicle away, could just be a text away, could just be a conversation away, and my fear is, how many times do we skip those opportunities? And those people who could could be a bridge to another people group, could be a bridge to a family who needs to hear Jesus Christ, misses that opportunity by such a small distance. Uh, Talking about Joppa, Joppa is known for oranges, Have you heard of uh, Jaffa oranges? They've got a really hard rind. They're seedless, I think. They're great for export, transport. They have a tough skin. That's Joppa. Now, Simon Peter, we know Simon Peter. He's staying with another Simon, which could get a little confusing. I can understand that. Uh, My brother-in-law's on one side are Luke and Luke, and then my brother-in-law on the other side, his name's Josh, so Josh and Josh. So that gets confusing. Here we have Simon staying at Simon's house But they're two different Simons. And Simon is a tanner. That means he prepares animal skins. I think we have one or two in our church who work with animal skins. But he had to be located by the ocean, by a waterway. Uh, Cleaning the animal was a dirty process. He had to have a way to wash it. But the bigger issue is Simon is staying with Simon who prepares animal skins. He works with dead animals for a living. And Simon Peter, a Jew... Is living with Simon a tanner, and customarily, traditionally, based on their understanding of the law, they would not spend time in the presence or associated with the filth and the uncleanliness, the non kosher of preparing dead animals and hides. Could it be that God's not only preparing Cornelius, by having Cornelius experience some Jewish traditions, Jewish prayer time, stepping, in that direction, but he's also preparing Peter stepping towards Gentiles by maybe bending some of his own traditions. Can you see how potentially they're meeting each other halfway? God is is preparing a bridge from the Jews to the Gentiles. Now let's keep moving on. Acts chapter 10 and verse 9. Cornelius sends a devout soldier and two of his servants to go to Joppa to find this Simon Peter. The next day, after they traveled this 56.7 kilometers, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. Now, the sixth hour is 12 p.m., lunchtime. It's not typically the time that most Jews would customarily pray, but you do see in the life of David... Uh, in the life of Daniel, who is known for praying, a third time of prayer. Simon is on the rooftop, Simon Peter, which was customary. The roof had these barricades around it, it was safe. Maybe vines would be growing up there to protect them from the sun. It was a private place to pray. And he's up there at 12 p.m. praying. What do you normally do at 12 p.m.? Eat lunch, don't you? Does anybody ever get hangry? Anybody at home? Maybe you're feeling it already. If you want to admit it, you can type it in the chat. It's okay. We'll, we'll pray for you. But that's exactly what happened to Peter. He became hungry. He wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, isn't that the worst moment in the day while you're waiting for the meal to be prepared and you can smell it and you can... Yeah. He fell into a trance Now, I don't think the trance is just a daydream. I don't think it's something that's brought on because he was fasting for so many days and he just kind of lost his mental capacity because he was so, you know, he didn't have enough calories that day or whatever. I think God was so impressing to his attention what God wanted to show him. Not just coincidentally, is that how you say it? Coincidentally, but providentially. He's preparing Peter for his guests that are about to arrive. And he shows him this vision. Here's what happened. And I saw the heavens opened up, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. You can picture this big blanket, like a hammock coming down, and then it lays out like a picnic blanket. In it were all kinds of animals, reptiles, birds of the air, and there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now, we talked about how Simon Peter's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and that probably bent some of his traditions. This is really testing his traditions, because if you read in the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy, you find that there were all kinds of laws around what the Israelites should eat. When they're traveling through the wilderness, God gave them these laws to follow and abide by. And Peter's having a really tough time with this. Look at what Peter says. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that's common or unclean. The voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Peter has quite a history with threes, doesn't he? I mean, he denies Jesus three times. Then he confesses his love for Jesus on the beach as they're eating fish three times. And now... God's got to show him this vision three times, and he's still struggling to wrap his mind around it. Peter is hearing God tell him one thing, but he's struggling to recognize and rationalize how it fits with the tradition, the customs, the way in which he's been brought up in Jewish culture, the way in which they identified and applied the Mosaic law. He's struggling with this. And he comes right out and he says that. Now, while Peter is inwardly perplexed, he's trying to figure this out as to what the vision he had seen might mean. Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. Does anybody believe in coincidence? It's God's providence, isn't it? Isn't that wild? Have you ever had a moment where God just opened a door, he just lined things up, and it was like, wow, God, you must have had that in the works, and I didn't see it, but you were preparing Peter's heart for the visitors who are about to arrive. He still doesn't have this whole vision figured out, but he's soon going to figure it out. And the visitors arrive. They're standing at the gate, probably not a physical gate around the house, probably the porch, the door of the house, and they're requesting Peter. As Peter's inwardly perplexed, he's trying to figure this out, Peter's pondering the vision, The Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down, accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Do you remember one month ago? I know this is going way back, but we have Philip, the evangelist, and the Spirit takes him to the middle of this deserted area on the road, and the Spirit tells him, Go join that chariot and talk to that Ethiopian eunuch. What happened when he gets up into the chariot? What was the uh, Ethiopian reading? Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. Coincidence? I think not. That's God's providence. And here God is doing the same thing with Peter and with these visitors. Peter walks downstairs. He meets them. He travels with them. It's like a four-day journey. They spend the night there. Uh, They travel. They arrive on the fourth day. They entered Caesarea. Cornelius is expecting them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. So this isn't just a meeting with Cornelius. Cornelius wants his friends, his family, his colleagues to hear what Peter is going to say. You could say Cornelius himself is a sort of evangelist. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. The, the fact that he met him speaks of joy. He's excited that he's there. You remember the prodigal son returns home, the father sees him a long ways off and runs out to meet him. It's joy. And then fell down at his feet and worshipped him. This was a reverence. Uh, potentially, Cornelius was accustomed to doing this. When high-ranking officials would arrive, you would bow at them. So he pays the same honor and respect to Peter when Peter arrives. But notice they haven't stepped into the house yet. This is another tough thing for Peter's traditions. See, the Jewish people took the Mosaic Law and they made certain implications from it beyond what the law actually said. The law said that you couldn't marry or enter into a a contract agreement with people who weren't of the Jewish nation. The whole point was to set the Jewish nation apart to sanctify them, to make them distinct from the other nations as God's chosen people. And they took that to mean you can't even spend time in their presence. You cannot step into their house. Peter arrives outside Cornelius' house and now he's got a decision to make. Am I going to step in? Am I going to take another step towards this Gentile fellow and his family? Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, I too am a man. Now, when you break this whole thing down, it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? We're all people. We're all on a level playing field, and that's what this story is going to illustrate. Verse 27, "'As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. He said to them, "'You yourselves know how unlawful it is "'for a Jew to associate with "'or to visit anyone of another nation.'" But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. There's the same language used in the vision that he had on the rooftop in Joppa. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Some versions translate that without distinction. I didn't have a stigma against you. I decided to step over the racial barrier and join with you without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it, Peter? (laughs) I mean, you're the Apostle Peter. You're the one to whom Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom. We're inviting you here to hear what you have to say about this gospel message and whether or not it's exclusive to the Jews only. It's kind of the elephant in the room, isn't it? I mean, I'm a Jew. You're a Gentile. This is totally unacceptable in our culture Cornelius says I saw a vision the angel showed up here's what the angel told me so I sent for you at once you've been kind enough to come thank you now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord these people are ready aren't they It's like God is throwing an alley-oop to Peter and he's just got to get it in the net. God has done all the work. The Holy Spirit has been convicting these people, preparing their hearts. They're open. They're humble. They're receptive. They're just waiting to hear the truth. They're ready to receive it. At our previous church in New Brunswick, they used to have door-to-door evangelism on Tuesday nights. Um, I don't know if that's the best modern-day approach, but that's what they did back in the day. And I remember a story of a guy named Jamie. Jamie. One Tuesday night, he knocks on the door, he and another person from the church. He says, hey, we're so-and-so from the church up the street. We want to tell you about Jesus. Can we do that? And the person was very receptive. Yeah, go ahead. So he started in, and he didn't get very far, and the person said, I'm ready. And Jamie said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Maybe you're confused. Let, let me go on. I'll explain a little more of the story. And he got a few more sentences, and the person said, I'm ready. And Jamie took a little long to get the hint, but he kept on telling the story. And this person received Christ, not because Jamie came and knocked on the door, but because God had been working in their heart, preparing them. And Jamie just arrived to serve up the alley slam. God had done all the work behind the scenes. This, this is the story of Peter and Cornelius. Peter arrives Cornelius, his family, his friends, they're all seated, they're ready, they're receptive, their hearts are open. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Some versions say God is no respecter of persons, like a judge who takes bribes or is is motivated in a different way other than justice. But in every nation, anyone, that's pretty inclusive, isn't it? Every nation, anyone who fears him, does what is right, is acceptable to him. And then Peter says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. I love how this is in parentheses. I don't necessarily know what that means in Scripture, but I just picture Peter rationalizing this in his mind and coming to terms with this truth that has just crushed his tradition. Jesus truly is Lord of all. When Jesus talked to the Samaritan woman at the well, or when Jesus told the story of the good Samaritan, or when Jesus was talking to that woman and and she said, Sir, even the dogs lick up the crumbs under the table of the children of Israel. Jesus was setting this example and all of a sudden it clicks for Peter. Jesus is Lord of all. And the message of peace that was originally sent to Israel is now a message of peace that brings Jew and Gentile together without distinction, without race, without social standing. Not only does it bring Jew and Gentile together, it connects man and God. This gospel message is a message of peace between man and God, peace between Jew and Gentile. Peace was a term that Cornelius could really resonate with. I mean, he's a military man. They fight for peace. Peace is what it was all about. So when Peter said peace, I'm sure that must have resonated with Cornelius. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee. Remember, Caesarea is in Judea, not that far from Galilee. They probably heard the stories of Jesus. Maybe they saw Jesus 10 years earlier. After the baptism that John proclaimed, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. This is Peter's evangelistic sermon right here. If you've ever wondered how to tell somebody about Jesus, here's some principles, here's some main points, some truths that you should include in that conversation. He anointed him with the Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day, Easter's in four weeks, made him to appear, not to all of the people, but to us, the apostles, us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people, to testify, That he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all prophets bear witness that everyone who believes, anyone, all people in all nations, every race, tribe, tongue, language, anyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the most inclusive yet exclusive message that the world has ever heard this message is for all people everywhere but it's only through one door one bridge and that's jesus christ his shed blood in our place it's the most inclusive message and at the same time the most exclusive message it's only through jesus christ verse 44, while Peter is still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. It's almost like the Holy Spirit decides, you know what, Peter, you've said enough. I'm going to interrupt. It's time for me to arrive. While he's still speaking, the Holy Spirit falls on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised Peter had brought six Jewish believers with him on this journey, and they're standing there witnessing this. The ones who had come with Peter were amazed. How could this be? Their traditions are just shocked, rocked, abolished. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on even the Gentiles. Even on them the Holy Spirit came. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Don't miss this point right here. What does that remind you of the holy spirit falling people speaking in known languages but different to their own what does that remind you of pentecost doesn't it and pentecost is the birth of the church who preached at pentecost peter here we have peter the one to whom jesus gave the keys of the kingdom preaching to the gentiles and the holy spirit falls on them in the same manner that he fell on the jewish christians and they speak in tongues it's the birth date of the gentile church we can look back at this as a monumental event in our own faith because that's when the holy spirit came to people like us to all people And the Jews are amazed. Their traditions, their customs are rocked. Look at the end of verse 46. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter remained there for a while. Can I make a few applications before we close this thing out? I can't believe it took me a whole week to realize this, but I just realized yesterday. Does Joppa ring a bell to you? If you're watching at home, you hear the word Joppa, what story do you think of in the Old Testament? Did I hear Jonah back there? Yeah, Jonah, the prophet Jonah. I love that book. It's only four chapters long. When you go home, read it. Because it's the anti-story story to what we're talking about today. Jonah receives a message from God calling him to the people of... We're getting close to lunch, aren't we? Calling him to the people of Nineveh. What does he do? He goes down to Joppa, the seaport in Israel, pays the fare, because running from God is always going to cost you something. I heard a Pentecostal preacher say that, and I love it. And boarded a ship set for Tarshish. The opposite direction from Nineveh. And we know the story, don't we? There's a storm, he gets thrown overboard, the giant fish swallows him three days later, it spits him up on the beach, he ends up going to Nineveh anyway. And how do the people respond to his message? Look, if you don't repent, destruction on the whole city. And how do the people respond? They repent sackcloth and ashes in the streets, repentance, humility, their hearts are open and receptive, starting with the king to all the people. They were ready. God had already prepared them, and Jonah just had to go and dunk the alley that God had set up for him. Let's not miss this moment. <laughs> Maybe we're in Joppa right here, and God is impressing somebody on our heart. And we're thinking, you know what? Uh-uh. I'm not going through that embarrassment. What if they ask me a question I can't respond to? What if I say something wrong? What if I lead them the wrong way? What if they make a decision, but I didn't give them enough information? It's the wrong decision. They end up going to hell anyway because they didn't have the right teacher and we get all these fears wrapped up in us. So we run to Tarshish. God says, look. Look. I don't need you to be an academic or a theologian or a gifted speaker or somebody who's got your life together. I just need you to go and give them the truth that I've already prepared them for. I'm setting you up. Just get the ball in the hoop. Let's finish it off. We're at the end of the story here, I promise. Chapter 11. uh, Just let me give you a brief overview. Now, Peter comes back to the church in Jerusalem. And they've found out. Yeah, verse 1 right here. The apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, that's the Jews, the traditional Jews, Jewish church, they criticized him. What do you think you're doing, Peter? You're challenging our traditions. Everything we've ever known, you're doing something different. What do you think you're doing? You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Do you see the addition, the assumption? Never says anything about eating with them. He stayed with them. But they just assume, man, staying with them is one thing. But what if he ate with them? Do you remember when they criticized Jesus for being a friend of tax collector and sinners, drunkards, gluttons, eating with sinners? And they accused Peter of this. And Peter says, whoa, whoa, wait, hold on. Here's the vision I received. Here's what happened when I arrived in Caesarea and talked to Cornelius. Verse 16. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Jonah stood in God's way and he got corrected, didn't he? Peter obeyed and was just a small cog in the wheel of seeing the gospel go from the Jews to the Gentiles. If God wants to save your friend, your coworker, your family member, your classmate, who are you to stand in his way? If the Holy Spirit's calling them, God forbid you fail to speak up, and he's got to use somebody else to clarify the truth with the people that you should have told the message of God's love to. Verse 18, when they heard these things, they fell silent, maybe ashamed, maybe embarrassed. And they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let Let me close this thing off here. Who's God impressing on your heart, and what traditions are getting in the way of you actually telling them about the gospel? Maybe they don't dress like you do. Maybe they don't look like you do. Maybe they're involved in lifestyles that you disagree with and you think they've got to get this lifestyle figured out and then I'll give it to them. Well, you cannot catch the fish. You can't clean the fish before you catch it, can you? <laughs> You've got to catch the fish and, and then the sanctifying work begins, doesn't it? What traditions are standing in the way of you giving the gospel message to the person that God's impressing on your heart today? Can I pray for you as we close in this direction, and this theme? God, I pray for the names all over this room that you've impressed on our heart. God, if we've got a name on our heart today, help us to write it down. Write the date. Write down what we're going to do, when we're going to reach out, when we're going to meet for coffee, when we're going to send that email, when we're going to make that phone call. God, help us to do it. Because the eternity of somebody we care for, hangs in the balance. God, thank you that Peter obeyed. Thank you that you already prepared the way through Jesus, through the leading of your spirit. God, thank you that all those people needed to hear was the words that through the blood of Jesus Christ, they are now included and accepted in the family of God. If there are people here this morning who need to hear that message, That no matter what they've done, where they're from, what family they were born into, what religions they belong to, that through the blood of Jesus Christ, they can be invited into the family of God. It's not something we can earn, not something that we deserve, but it's your grace bestowed upon us because you were willing to take your gospel message from your chosen Old Testament people, Israel, and extend it to the rest of us. God, we praise you so much today for that story in Acts chapter 10. We pray all these things in your Son's name. Amen.